In the name of Jesus, who is Lord over every authority. Amen. It is still the Feast of Tents. Jesus is still in Jerusalem. Time period, middle of September, possibly the year 32. Jesus had been previously at a festival about a year before this and had healed the paralyzed man at the Pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. This had begun the hatred of the authorities wanting to arrest and kill him. Now he's back about a year later in Jerusalem, and the authorities had just taken up stones to try to kill Jesus. But Jesus had walked away from them. And then as he walked away from them, he had seen a man born blind. Jesus had healed him again on the Sabbath day. The fury of the authorities is increasing. Their anger is growing. And at the end of chapter 9, Jesus has just told them that he has come to open the eyes of those who are blind, but those who are blind to shut their eyes. The authorities say to him, we are not blind. And our text picks up at the very end of chapter 9, verse 41. Jesus said to them, if y'all were blind, then y'all would not have selfishness. But now y'all say, we are seeing, and your selfishness remains. Amen, amen, I say to y'all, the one who is not entering the courtyard of the sheep through the door, but climbs in another way as a thief and a terrorist. The one who is entering through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens for this one, and the sheep are listening to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he journeys in front of them, and the sheep follow him. Because they know his voice. They will never follow another, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the others. Jesus said this metaphor to them, but they did not know what he was saying to them. For the usual, Jesus is speaking in many parables, metaphors, lots of images here. We have a sheepyard, a door, a doorkeeper, a thief, a shepherd, lots of images. Jesus continues, therefore he said to them again, Amen, amen, I say to you, that I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and terrorists, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, then he will be saved. He will enter and go out and find what he needs. Jesus calls himself the door for the sheep twice here. The significance of a sheep's life is sort of in two spaces. The sheep yard, where they sleep and are protected from any of the evils of the night. And then they have the pasture outside the door, where they go to find food and water every single day. Jesus says that he is the door, and through him, the sheep both go into the sheepyard to find protection and go out of the door into the pasture to find provision and the care of the Lord. Jesus is the one through whom the sheep find both protection in the yard and pasture and food and provision outside. Jesus continues, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal, sacrifice others, and destroy. 
I've come so that they, the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. Before, in verse 8, Jesus had just said, all those who came before me are thieves and terrorists. All those who came before me. Who are these all those that Jesus is targeting? Probably, almost certainly, these authorities that are trying to kill him, right? Standing right in front of him. They are not really taking care of the sheep of the people. They are using the people for their own devices to get rich, uh, to make themselves feel good and righteous and great, whatever it may be. These leaders are certainly in the eye of Jesus. And certainly other false Christs, those who would claim that they're the Messiah, those who would say, I've come to save the people of God. He has these in mind too. Many have come before him, as we'll see later. But I think he also has in mind something pretty intense. So far in his ministry in John, he's gotten in trouble for the way that he has said that he is greater than Abraham, greater than Moses. I believe he's even pinpointing the great forefathers of the faith, Abraham, Moses, and the like, as thieves and terrorists, all those who have come before me. Let's think of Moses just in his own particular story. Jesus says the thief comes to sacrifice others and to kill. Moses' whole ministry was about the sacrificing of animals. And not only did he participate in that sacrificing of others' ministry, he killed his own people, at least on one significant occasion, where he killed 3,000 of his own people, calling the Levites to murder their own. All those who came before Jesus came to steal, get themselves rich, sacrifice others, and destroy. He continues, verse 11, I am the beautiful shepherd. The beautiful shepherd puts down his soul for the sheep. First time he said it. The hired person who is not a shepherd and is not the owner of the sheep says, sorry, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees. So the wolf seizes the sheep, scatters them. Because he is hired, he does not care about the sheep. I am the beautiful shepherd. I know those who are mine, and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I put down my soul for the sheep a second time. I have other sheep, which are not from this courtyard. It is also necessary for me to lead these sheep. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock with one shepherd. Because of this, the father loves me because I put down my soul so I might receive it back again. No one takes it away from me, but I put it down on my own. I have the authority to put it down, the fifth reference. And I have the authority to receive it back again. This is the command I received from my father. Now Jesus is identifying himself as the beautiful shepherd. The comparison here is now the shepherd versus the hired worker. The hired worker is the one who's paid to be there with the sheep, but it's just his job to earn a living. And when the wolves come, what does the hired worker do? He bails. He flees. I'm not going to die for my silly job. However, the shepherd who owns the sheep, whose sheep are his very own flock, whose relationship with the sheep is not just as a hired relationship, but one of deep, profound love. When the wolves come against the beautiful shepherd, the shepherd does what? Jesus says, 
puts down his soul five separate times in the text. What does it mean to put down one's soul for the sheep? I think the answer to this question is always best found, or to any question in the life of Jesus. So what does Jesus do in his life to show us what it means to put down his soul for the sheep? Jesus washes the disciples' feet coming up in John 13. And in that imagery, he takes off his clothing and puts it down. Exact same language. So here we see the beginnings of what it means to put down one's soul, to strip oneself of all of the arrogance, all of the might, the wealth, to lower oneself to be a servant for others. But it doesn't just stop with servanthood. Jesus then will be betrayed and denied by these very disciples that he washes the feet of. He will give himself over to arrest when Judas comes with the armed soldiers. Jesus will tell Peter, put down your sword. Do not fight those wolves who are coming to get me. Jesus does not fight the wolves in the way that we would anticipate the beautiful shepherd to do. Instead, he puts down his soul and is killed and nailed to a cross. But Jesus is very clear in verse 18. No one takes my soul away from me. I put it down of my own choice. Jesus is not a victim. Jesus is not a doormat. Jesus is the one assertively putting down his soul, his life, of his own free choice of love for his sheep. This is very different than those who may die fighting for something. Jesus does not die fighting for something. Because the one who dies fighting wished they would have won and not died. But Jesus puts down his soul, his life, puts down his sword in order to take care of the sheep. But in there in verse 16, Jesus throws in this, I have other sheep. Who are these other sheep? Jesus is probably referring to the nations. Right now he's speaking, as the text tells us, to the Judeans. They are the people of God through the line of Judah, David's line. These are the people with the temple, the expectation of what God is doing. And Jesus is telling them, this is about something so much bigger than you. This isn't just about you. It's not just about us. Jesus has other sheep. All of creation, all creatures are his sheep. And he says he is going to bring them together so we might be one flock with one shepherd. Jesus continues, verse 19. And a schism happened among the Judeans because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon. He's insane. Why are you listening to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of a demon-possessed person. A demon's not able to open the eyes of the blind, like Jesus had just done. The second time now we've literally seen a schism, a division happening centered around Jesus. As we've seen before, there is no neutral ground when you are confronted with Jesus. You're either on his side or you are against him. And here we have again, just as the crowd back in John 7 said, you've got a demon. 
And as the authority said in John 8, you have a demon. Now again, the third time in the text, they are saying to Jesus, you have a demon. And additionally, they think he is insane, that he has gone crazy. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus' own family comes to apprehend him, believing that Jesus has gone insane. Verse 22. Then the dedications feast happened in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Suddenly, in a verse, we jump fast forward three months later. Dedications feast is what you guys know as Hanukkah. Middle to late December, depending on the year, again, probably 32. This remembrance, Hanukkah, the dedications feast, was a remembrance of Judas Maccabeus clearing out the temple in 164 BC. Because three years earlier in 167 BC, a Greek ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, had captured the temple, put the Greek gods in it, and defiled it. Judas Maccabeus takes up the sword, fights back the wolves, not laying down his solar life, but killing the wolves in order that he might clear the temple and establish it for worship again. This is what they remember every year, generally in December. Verse 23, Jesus is walking in the temple in the covered area of Solomon. This is the east portion of the temple. Then the Judeans surrounded him. Their aggression continues. And we're saying to him, how long are you going to keep our souls in suspense? If you're the Christ, then tell us boldly, openly. It is fitting that at this dedication's feast where they remember Judas Maccabeus, one who modeled the hope of a Christ for these people, that they're wondering, are you the Christ or not? Are you going to be like the Judas Maccabeuses? Are you going to go out and fight the wolves, the Roman Empire, and slaughter those who are oppressing us or not? Verse 25, Jesus replies, I told y'all, and y'all did not trust The works I am practicing in the name of my Father are witnessing concerning me. Jesus points to his works, his actions, his fruit. They reveal who he is. But y'all are not trusting because y'all are not my sheep. Ouch. Speaking to the Judeans, the people that God had prepared to receive his Messiah, his Christ, Jesus says, the good shepherd, y'all aren't my sheep. Because my sheep are listening to my voice, and I know them, and they are following me. I give to them life eternal, and they will not be destroyed into the age. No one will be able to seize them from my hand. Jesus will not fail. Remember the imagery before, will not fail in protecting and providing for his sheep. Leading them into the sheepyard so they can be protected at night. Leading them out of the sheepyard to pastures so they may be taken care of. Jesus says, they will not be taken from my hand. No one can seize them out. Continuing verse 29, my father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to seize from my father's hand. I and the father are one. Jesus says they are in his hand. Therefore, they're in his father's hand. His father's hand and his hand are the same. The Judeans then took up stones again so they might stone him. Back to the end of chapter 8 where they had first taken up stones to kill Jesus. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, I showed y'all many beautiful works from the Father. 
Because of which work of these are you stoning me? The Judeans answered Jesus, We are not going to stone you for a beautiful work, but for blasphemy. Because you are a man, and you are making yourself the creator. Back in John chapter 5, when Jesus had healed the man paralyzed for 38 years... On the Sabbath, he had told the authorities, My Father is always working. Therefore, the Son is always working. They had wanted to kill him that day more than ever, not just for healing on the Sabbath, because he made a relationship of unity with himself and God, his heavenly Father. Jesus answers them, verse 34, Is it not written... In y'all's law, I said y'all are creators or gods. Psalm 82, Jesus is referencing. Verse 6, the text says, I said, I declare, y'all are gods. Y'all are creators and all of you are children of the Most High. Jesus continues, if he called those who received the creator's pattern, the creator's word, creators or gods, and the scripture is not able to be wrong, then so also the one the Father set apart and sent in the cosmos, Jesus. Yet you yourselves are saying, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Creator's Son. Jesus is making a unity between himself and the Father, but he doesn't stop there. He says those God's word has spoken to, those that receive, Verse 35, receive the creator's word, the creator's pattern. They are called by the scripture gods, creators. Jesus says, this isn't just me. This is all those who receive the creator's word and pattern. They are creators. They are gods. The early church called this notion theosis. It is not that we are God, but that we become merged with God through listening to and obeying his word, a joining of ourselves into God. We are subsumed and brought into God himself. Jesus says, I, because I listen to my father, am one with my father. And anyone who receives the creator's word and pattern is one with God, as the text in Psalm 82 says, all of you are sons and daughters of the Most High, those who receive the Word of God. 37, Jesus continues, If I do not practice the works of my Father, then don't trust me. But if I do practice His works, then even if y'all do not trust me, trust the works, so that y'all might know and understand that the Father is in me. And I am in the Father. This unity, why? Because Jesus is listening to the voice of His Father and obeying it. He says again, trust the works, the fruit, the actions. Don't just look at Jesus superficially. He's saying, look at what's happening through me. As you know a tree by its fruit, look at what Jesus is doing. You know where he came from. You know who he belongs to. Verse 39. Then they were seeking to capture Jesus again. But he went away from their hands again, unable to grab him. Because guess what? Nobody takes Jesus' life and soul from him. He puts it down when it's his time. And Jesus again went across the Jordan River into the place where John was first baptizing and remained there. Jesus 
had gone into hiding back after John 5. After he had healed the man paralyzed for 38 years at the Bethsaida pool, he had gone into hiding for about a year. Then he resurfaces. Now he is going back into hiding again. Many came to Jesus and were saying, John did not make a sign, but everything John the Baptist said concerning this man was true. And many there, where's there, out in the wilderness, not in the city, trusted in Jesus. Those in the cities, metaphorically living in the cluttered distractions of the city, civilization life, are blind and cannot see who Jesus is. Out in the wilderness where John was baptizing, there are open eyes to see. The major thing that Jesus gets in trouble for is that he wants to be like his father. He wants to imitate and do what his father asks him. This is why they want to kill him, for his obedience to the word of God. Jesus just wants to be like his father. He wants to imitate him. He wants to live and act like his father. And five times Jesus says he's going to put down his soul because this is how his father operates. Our heavenly father, God, the creator of all the universe, is not a tyrant. He is not a one who runs around forcing his way on the world. Instead, he puts down his soul And allows us to run all over him and to trample it and to make a mess of our lives in this world and to destroy the creation and our very own selves that he has made. Jesus puts down his soul because that is how his father operates. And Jesus urges them and us to follow him, the shepherd, to listen to the shepherd, to imitate him so that we would put down our souls too, like Jesus does and like his father does as well. That we would be one and united with God in love. That we would be his children. That we would be gods and creators. Not because we are God, but because we have received the word of God himself. Jesus said in the text, the sheep know his voice. Three times the sheep listen to his voice. One time the sheep know me. And one other time, but they don't listen to any other Voice. Who are the other voices out there? The thieves and terrorists running around in our world trying to get your attention, get you to listen and follow them. Politicians, bosses, news channels. Everyone, our own nation, other nations, our own egos, our own family systems, the voices are myriad. They're all around us. And Jesus says, His sheep don't listen to those other voices. They know the voice of the beautiful shepherd. And if we listen to the shepherd, we are one with the Father. We are one with the Creator. We ourselves are gods, not because we are God, but because we are one with His work, His love, His life. We live in Him, and we are little beacons of His work and His love and His Spirit. So be His child. Listen to the shepherd. Listen to His voice. Follow it. Imitate it. Obey it. Allow the Word of God to change you into His child. 
He will lead you into the sheepyard for rest and protection. He will take you out to pasture for provision and water and whatever you need. He is the good shepherd, so listen to his voice. He puts down his soul for you so that you can learn to put down your soul for each other. Amen.